listener. Welcome to Good to Think With. I'm Dr. Jonathan Vickers, and I'm joined today by Bridget Leslie, a third-year student in the School for Advanced Studies in the Arts and Humanities at Western University. Here's how things work. For every episode, a SASA student and I come up with a fun topic to discuss, typically with an arts perspective. I can't help but bring in a bit of classical studies, but every student has something different to offer. The results we knead together into a research-filled donut and serve it up for your enjoyment in the form of an off-the-cuff dialogue. Other than my intro, there's no script. It's just us. Today, we are talking about Harry Potter. One of the things that we're not going to be talking about, though, is J.K. Rowling as an author. We're going to focus on the books, on the movies, and we will be thinking about this as a literary or film work. Well, one thing about Harry Potter that makes it so compelling, that lets people obsess, is the little touches, right? There are little bits in it, I mean, big bits too, but little bits in particular that are just hints of magic, where we're pushing the boundaries into abnormality. But as we play with what is normal and what is abnormal in Harry Potter, one thing that comes to mind for me is the representation of the body. And this is something that has superficial levels, mm -hmm. but also deeper ones as well. And if we're thinking superficial, for Harry, he is marked. There are physical mm -hmm. aspects of Harry that push him to abnormal. Of course, there's the scar, which would make him abnormal in uh, the magical world as well. Mm -hmm. But other things like his hair. Right? His hair, no matter how he cuts it, always sticks up. It always grows back super fast. It is unruly. And in the physical representation of that abnormality, we have the internal brought to the external. We have the self represented through the body. Mm -hmm. Hair is one example for Harry. The scar is another example. We can pull any number of characters, I think, and we see this. Yeah, I think it's really clear even just in characters such as like Draco Malfoy, how he has that shocking white hair, that sort of white like ice or coldness, and it sort of just shows his true nature. Or, I mean, Voldemort, he's physically different from human beings to show that he is not human. He's abnormal. He has no humanity. And he also did it intentionally. And it parallels his transformation, his yeah. going to the dark side, as yeah. it were. Right? I mean, of course, he was always wicked, but as he breaks his soul apart to create these horcruxes, mm -hmm. that's when his body deteriorates into something that is less than human. Yeah. Internal mm -hmm. and external, the soul and the body, is inextricably linked in mm -hmm. Voldemort. Yeah, I mean, they talk about when he was younger, when he was at Hogwarts, he was quite handsome, striking, very charming. Um, and then there's a scene, I think, in the sixth book where Voldemort, as Tom Riddle, comes to meet with Dumbledore asking for a job. It's like a flashback to the memory of this. And you can see that he's already becoming subhuman. Like his skin is more gaunt. The physical description shows that his soul is deteriorating because um, it just shows that his villainous nature is not just on the inside anymore. It's physically projected onto his body. Yeah, I agree. He's just evil for whatever reason. I guess it just runs in his family or... It makes him a good character from oh, a literary definitely. perspective, right? And I think it's interesting with Voldemort because when you get to know his family backstory, it's very clear that the Gaunts, they're very evil. But his mother, honestly, kind of seems just misunderstood. She doesn't seem evil. She just seems like she's, she's longing for love and connection. That's why she gives the love potion to Tom Riddle. Um, and it's 
a really sad story just because they show that all she really wanted was love and acceptance and positive attention, which she had never been given all of her life. So it's really interesting because you can trace Voldemort's heritage back to like this evil concept of, oh, they're all Slytherins, they're descendants of Slytherin. But then you get to see his mother, who seems sort of soft in a way. One thing that's really striking me from what you're saying, Bridget, mm -hmm. is that this really does come back to that structure of normal and abnormal, that we can see things that are considered to be right or people that are considered to be um, positive characters doing things that are socially accepted. Mm -hmm. Now, the magical world is going to have its own version of what is socially acceptable versus the mundane world. Mm -hmm. But even there, they operate under um, strict views of social transgressions. And Voldemort's family tends to do things that are socially negative, mm -hmm. um, things that are condemned, and they would be condemned both in the normal and magical world. Mm -hmm. uh, and his mother does things that are more acceptable. Now, the love potion is an exception, and there we see a problem, right? Because mm -hmm. there is a social transgression. So as we play with the idea of normal and abnormal, in the magical world, everything is abnormal, but to the point that abnormal has become normal, right? That is the norm, is for things to be strange. And when people stray even from that, we can see them as obstacles in the story. It's not just Voldemort, of course, that has that negative body presentation of something that is not quite human. We also see this for his followers, mm -hmm. for the Death Eaters. And what's particularly interesting here is that they wear masks to cover who they are. It's a horrific mask. It's designed to be scary. Mm -hmm. And underneath that is the real person. And in the same way that as they have chosen the dark side, as they've chosen to follow you-know-who, there is a masking of the internal because mm -hmm. they're pushing back against good qualities if they have them. It's hard to say. Some of them seem irredeemable. But I do think that masking presents us with a character that has made a conscious choice mm -hmm. toward an evil act. And so they are presented as subhuman. They are no longer people. Mm -hmm. They are faceless beings. Yeah, I think that's really interesting in how it sort of relates them to Voldemort and how he's subhuman. Because he is deformed and he has no soul, no humanity. And the fact that they mask themselves really just sort of indicates the fact that they are covering up their good qualities. One example we can take is Lucius Malfoy. Obviously, he's not a good person. He has very bad qualities. But one good quality that he does have is that he clearly loves his family. I think in the seventh book and film, you can really see that he really what he truly cares for is Draco and his wife, Narcissa. So I guess that's an example of how the mask covers up his humanity and makes him just this representation, this like malignant force of evil. Yes, I agree that the way you worded it at the end there, because there's a loss of individuality as well, mm -hmm. right? No longer is he Lucius Malfoy. He's just Death Eater. They yeah. are all just Death Eater. They're they just are, Death Eater. They are just villains. Yeah. Right? And who they are underneath is completely gone. It's kind of like how <laughs> I'm I'm not like an expert in Star Wars, but like the stormtroopers, 
they don't look like people. They are people, but they just have like this uniform on. You can't even see their face. They have become dehumanized. Exactly. When the Death Eaters put on their mask and their cape and their weird pointy hats, they become part of something that's far bigger than themselves. Something evil that strives to take away individuality and take away humanity. You know what's really interesting here? You were right. This presents us with a, a group that is cohesive to mm -hmm. the point of lacking their selves. They are forcing normal on an abnormal world. That is so true. And if Harry Potter thrives on presenting abnormalities, as long as they're not social transgressions, mm -hmm. if it gives us that as what is the cornerstone of magic, then we have the Death Eaters as a force that's going to destroy it and make everything the same. Yeah. So the main theme of Harry Potter is definitely love, and that can come back in terms of like romantic love or friendship or just family. And I think something interesting about the use of bodies is how they kind of, bodies kind of demonstrate how love and friendship can transcend life and death, and you can still feel love for someone even after they're long gone. So one thing that I thought was really interesting was the resurrection stone and how when people come back with the use of the resurrection stone, they have a body, but it's not a fully fledged body. They're almost like ghosts, but they still have the most important thing is still like the love that they feel. So in Deathly Hallows, when Harry brings back his parents and then Remus and Sirius to sort of give him support, they're not fully fledged individuals, but they still can give him that love and support that he needs in that moment. And I think it's Sirius tells Harry that like they're in his heart still. So the bodies aren't even important in that moment. It's just the the, the love that they have for him and the support that they have for him. And I think it is even more established by the fact that Voldemort spends all this time trying to regain his body and regain his control through his physical representation. But he still loses time and time again because he doesn't understand that what's really important is the soul and feeling love and feeling friendship and empathy and he constantly underestimates that and I just think it's really interesting how bodies demonstrate the fact that what's inside it really counts that's that's what's important about a person not their physicality or the power that they possess through their body and I think that's even more shown with like Hagrid the gentle giant like What's inside of Hagrid is way more important than the way he looks or the way he's perceived by others. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so this is really cool because we have some points that we can bring against the argument that we led with. Yeah. And I think that's fantastic, right? Because mm -hmm. well, that's the whole point of this, right? It makes us think. Mm -hmm. And in what you're saying, it seems like we have a triumph of uh, the internal as opposed yeah. to the external. Mm -hmm. But in that uh, victory of love and empathy and friendship... Uh, we see the victory of social structure mm -hmm. because we see social glue as things that tie people together that create unity and cohesiveness that lead us out of the dark times that Voldemort brings. Mm -hmm. And in working together, instead of attacking other people, we move society forward. Exactly, yeah. And I just think that's a really good message for kids who are reading this book because they they see the 
the representation of evil in Voldemort or other characters and they say, oh, well, that person's bad because of X, Y, Z reason. And I know that because they're ugly or I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. It, it takes us beyond what they look like yeah. and changes it to what they do. Exactly. Yeah. And it's their actions that count way more than their looks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if that's the place that brings us around to this conversation, um, I think that we've taken a good turn. Yes, definitely. <laughs> now, when we were planning to talk about various things here, you did say that you wanted to talk about the difference of the representation of Ron in book and movie. Yes. And I said to you, don't tell me anything else. <laughs> I don't want to know a darn thing until we sit right here. So please. First, just the ways that they, they give his lines from the book to Hermione, which leaves Ron as this awkward third wheel who doesn't really have any good ideas and is just kind of used for comic relief. So one thing that I can point out from Chamber of Secrets is when Draco calls Hermione a mudblood and then Ron tries to curse him and then it flashes back on him and he starts throwing up slugs. So in the book, they go to Hagrid's hut and Hermione and Harry don't know what a mudblood means and they are completely clueless because they grew up in the muggle world and so Ron, as this character who's useful for exposition because he grew up in the magical world, he explains the concept of pure blood supremacy and talks about how he thinks it's disgusting and he hates it. And he explains that that word is the worst thing that you can call someone. But in the movies, he's just throwing up slugs in the background and then Hermione's giving all this information, but it's not really fair to the character of Ron one thing that I also wanted to point out was in Deathly Hallows Part 1, when Ron leaves the camping trip, he has this fight with Harry. And in the movies, he says, your parents are dead, you have no family, which is just so mean. He is mocking his best friend for being an orphan. And I think it also completely undoes all of the important events that have happened throughout the previous books that make Harry an honorary Weasley. It's pretty clear that he's a member of their family. And I just think that's so cruel. And in the books, he doesn't say that. He says that Hermione and Harry are lucky because they don't have to worry about their parents. But this amalgamation of events that paint Ron as like goofy, silly, or straight up mean, don't do his character justice at all. What I think is particularly interesting is focusing on those points of difference and asking what they do for us as an audience member, what they do for us as a reader, especially if we're aware of those differences. Because now that we are, it lets us approach that in a different way and evaluate it in a different way. Mm -hmm. When we have the scene where Ron very meanly says to Harry, you've got no family, we can see perhaps here then an emphasis on how evil the Horcrux is that he's holding and the effect that it has had on him. Yeah. The way that it has changed. A character that we're used to seeing as that fun-loving, supportive, well, usually, yeah. friend of Harry and Hermione. Mm -hmm. And to me, that underscores just how rotten that Horcrux is and how important it is to destroy it. As we think about the way that certain characters are presented, characters like Voldemort, like mm -hmm. Harry, like Ron... If we come back to our main hero, Harry Potter, one of the ways that 
Harry really shines in the story. One of the ways that he is marked as special, as extraordinary in what is already an extraordinary world is through his ability in playing Quidditch. And for me, it is Harry's success and triumphs in Quidditch that really define him in the first few books as a hero, that show what he is really capable of. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, in the first three at least, he's got great moments, yes, but he sort of stumbles along. What Harry himself is actually distinguished by is his Quidditch ability. The mm -hmm. fact that he can fly that broom better than anybody. The fact that he can catch the snitch and win for Gryffindor so many times in a row. He's the youngest seeker in a century. It is in sport, then, that we see Harry's abilities come to the fore. And sport becomes not this ridiculous, nonsensical thing where the rules make absolutely no sense, but because Harry triumphs, he is the great one. Yeah, I think his Quidditch abilities definitely set him apart from the other characters in a way that is his own. Because throughout the series, he's set apart from everyone else and he's isolated in certain scenes. When the, when the series gets darker, he's physically isolated from everyone else. Um, and even just in the beginning, his his special traits and what makes him unique is, like you said, marked and determined by other people. And his successes are sort of as a result of other characters in the story. He gets really lucky, and he has these two amazing best friends that help him through everything. And then he has Dumbledore keeping an eye out for him all the time. So when he plays Quidditch and he wins all on his own and he's able to prove himself someone who actually has good qualities and impressive qualities, I think that's so helpful for just his self-esteem as a growing boy. Because at the core of the story, Harry is just a boy. And I think that proving yourself through sport is something that so many of us experience when we're younger. So I really enjoy the fact that Harry's so good at Quidditch and they spend so much time in the books with these Quidditch scenes. Yes, I think people often dismiss the Quidditch scenes, mm -hmm. that there's something that, sure, they parallel the story and the, the successes and losses, but they are things that you could maybe pull out of the story and the rest of it, the full narrative would still continue. And I don't think that's true because I think that they are integral to the mm -hmm. way that the story is told. Mm -hmm. We do see a conflict that is represented to us in Quidditch. I mean, any sport does this where you have one team against another. We don't have Quidditch in book seven because we have the battle instead. Mm -hmm. We have a conflict and we see the same person that triumphed on the Quidditch pitch now being the leader here. And it's not just Harry. We also see Ron and Ginny come into their own mm -hmm. as Quidditch players. This is tied in with their rise and how they improve uh, their magical abilities as well. We have the parallel of Draco at the beginning, a threat both on the Quidditch pitch and at Hogwarts, and then not really a threat in Quidditch anymore at all, and likewise, less of a threat as he undergoes his own difficulties at Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. Sport matters in the Harry Potter world, and it is a good way, I think, to show when characters do well and who we ought to cheer for. Mm -hmm. I think it's also helpful, especially when you watch the films as someone who maybe hasn't read the books, because in the books we get this amazing 
personal narrative of Harry. You're constantly exposed to what he's thinking, how he's feeling, and that really gives you this inside perspective on Harry's thoughts and feelings as the protagonist. But in the movies, you can't really have someone's internal monologue. So I think when they show his triumphs at sport, they do a really good job of indicating just how important that is to him and how maybe he's not the best at academics or even being a hero. But in the films, it's very much clear that he is the hero of the Quidditch pitch. We have a mark of someone extraordinary. We mm-hmm. have an abnormal ability in an abnormal world. Mm-hmm. Another way to mark out a character like Harry Potter, here for positive, in the same way that we've seen things mark characters for negative. Mm-hmm. Not just through physical bodies, through the actions that one takes, through what it means to be a protagonist, what it means to be a hero in this story. Well, we have covered so many incredible topics Bridget this has been actually really enjoyable thank you so much and listener I hope that we gave you something good to think with and that you have a great rest of your day